ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Radlich and Broadcasting Network Movie Review Club. I'm Robert Winfrey, your host for the evening, and I, uh, a minor, everyone should be aware of this considering the link you just clicked on, but for anyone listening live who might not have heard that Mark and I had to revise the schedule a little bit over the last couple of weeks, our original plan for this evening, our last show of the year, our last show of 2015, was going to be a review of Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. Well, it turns out that there were some issues with when that movie got released, into which markets, uh, neither Mark nor I could see it in time to review it with any degree of you know reliability. So that review is coming up uh, a couple of weeks. A week from tonight. Week. Next week. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Next week, we'll be reviewing The Hateful Eight. But tonight, because we had the spot scheduled, we didn't have anything else to do, and Mark was not interested in seeing The Revenant, we both decided to see The Big Short. And that's what we'll be reviewing here tonight. Uh, before I jump into it, you already heard Mark, but here he is. Here's Mark Radlich, my normal partner in crime, and my boss, if he bothered to pay me. Hi, Mark. How you doing? Why don't you ever let the music play? You never, you you know, you're not, you're not a chill guy. You can't just let the dim the lights, smoke a bowl, and let the music play. That was that was when the levee breaks by someone covering Led Zeppelin. Man, just sit back and let it play. Let it let it, let it dig into your bones, man. Let it it dig went into for a little bones. over a minute. It, <laughs> Okay, whatever. And too much more than that, you know we potentially run into legal problems. No one's suing us. <laughs> now, Not yet. I will actually, I, I, you know what, I shouldn't, I shouldn't get on your case about that, because I've been uploading this stuff to YouTube, and almost every time I, I violate a copyright law. Because of the music. Yeah, it's, and then, <laughs> it's a weird thing. And as to your other allegation, no, I do not indulge in various mind-altering <laughs> substances. Okay, the look my wife just gave me was, neither do you. <laughs> what are you crying about? Uh, all right. Now, again, Mark, we kind of stumbled upon this movie in terms of reviewing it by accident, because, again, we had a, just a spot to fill. Uh, you were the one who kind of put this out there as the movie that you wanted to see if we had to review something this week. So what was it you know, just about the you – know, before you saw the actual film, what was it about – you know, the marketing or the trailers or whatnot that made you think that this was the movie you wanted to see and then review with me? I like socioeconomic political movies, first of all. Um, as, as people may know, if you know anything about this particular movie, The Big Short, uh, it, it, it's in a line of movies that were about the 2008 financial collapse. But I mean, I like movies like Wall Street. I haven't seen the second one, though I heard the second one's a big turkey. Um, it's, uh, it's not good. But um, God, I'm so used to clicking on the Force Awakens, I click on the wrong movie. Um, no, I, I, I enjoy this movie. I enjoy movies about. I enjoy books about. Uh, especially since 9/11, I enjoy books about uh, economics. Um, I enjoy books about you know, politics and historical events. Really, a lot of recent historical stuff, as a matter of fact. So when I and then I saw the cast and the cast. I, I mean. I'm going to say something, and, and I'm going to ask that you restrain yourself. Um, I like Steve Carell. Much like I like I Steve like, Carell, too. Much like I like Jim Carrey, but only in their dramatic roles. I don't particularly care for either one as comedians. Like, I think about uh, Steve Carell 
in his, uh, you know, semi-retarded role in Anchorman. And I'm like, eh, it's one joke done over and over and over again. You're just not funny. And I, you know, I think about like, uh, I think it was something, not Bruce Almighty, but um, Stephen Carell Almighty. And, Evan um, Almighty. Yeah, where he's Noah. And, you know, I'm just like, eh, I just, I don't, I, I mean, my wife wanted to go see Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Rotten Day. And I was like, no, I can't take it. Um, but I, I love him in dramatic roles. And when I saw the cast, yeah, I thought he was in it. Brad Pitt, who I do enjoy in certain roles. Um, when they're doing serious acting, you I know, I, Brad I Pitt. These guys. I actually had this discussion with one of my brothers a couple of months ago, and it completely altered my perspective. I don't think Brad Pitt's ever been in a bad movie. I mean, you know, and that's, that's fine. Um, you know, I, uh, there are certain movies that he's in that annoy me, and then there are, or his performance at least annoys me, and then there are others that I, I really enjoy. Um, he's great in this. But uh, Christian Bale, you know, uh, he's a hell of an actor, and I think he gets a lot of flack for his participation in the Terminator series, where the movie that he was in was terrible, and his performance was kind of lackluster. Um, but, you know, obviously his turn in at least two of out of the three Batman movies was good. Um, Ryan Gosling is fine. So, I mean, it had a really good cast. And then I realized what the movie was about. And other than September 11th, the, the financial collapse of 2008, uh, was something that I, that I very, like the rest of the world, I'm not, I'm not special here, but it's, 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 it's kind of my, where were you when Kennedy was assassinated? You know, it's something that I lived through as an adult and felt in my bones. 9-11, the same thing. Something that I went through as an adult and was cognizant of, and it changed my life. And um, so I'm interested in the things surrounding that. That's why I read for, for the first few years after 9-11, I read so many books about the Middle East and terrorism. Um, I'm kind of a nerd that way. So <laughs> I'm going to get interested in the subject, and I just dive right in there. Uh, the 2008 financial collapse, um, I had been reading uh, economic books for the, mo- for the first half of, uh, of uh, the 2000s, you know, 2001 through 2005, 6, 7, um, I read a lot of books about the world economy and markets. And I read some, I, I even read some because I have a his- my, my family has a history in real estate. I had read some real estate books. So I was really interested in this movie both from a dramatic aspect and from a historical aspect. So I, I was very so when I saw that there was a spot open on the um, on the calendar, and my wife gave me permission, um, I was like, I'm going to see this thing, and I really enjoyed it. Um, it's a it's a shame it's not making more money. You know, it hasn't quite crossed uh, its production budget yet. It, uh, it's 28 million, and it's currently on 21 worldwide. But I mean, if, if if you can take a break, folks, from seeing Star Wars, go see The Big Short. And if, if you don't go see The Big Short, you're the problem with why The Big Short happened in the first place. It's, it's an incredible movie. Now, this movie utterly fascinated me. And I'm like you in the sense that I'm a very analytical person. I'm a bit of a nerd. I like understanding how things work, why they work. Uh, it's one of the things that attracted me to mixed martial arts because there was so much there to analyze and to look at and to break down. 
it's one of the reasons I have very little patience for, you know, collegiate football because it's relatively it's relatively simple. It's a lot of the same stuff. No one plays defense in college football. That's why you have astronomical scores. And I I, I just sat through this movie and there were whole periods of it where the dialogue was going on and the characters were explaining things and my jaw was on the floor. And (laughs) in large part because this is one of those things uh, Hollywood has this really bad habit and this is not just movies but television, the visual entertainment medium has this really bad habit of taking extraordinary things that actually happened and feeling the need to dress them up. Case in point, the Netflix series Narcos uh, deals with the rise of Pablo Escobar in the early to mid-80s in Colombia. And I have couple of major problems with that series. One, I don't feel the entire thing needs to be told from the perspective of an American DEA agent working in Colombia. I think it's a blatant attempt to say, hey, this will play better in America. Two, they embellish facts. They monkey with some of this stuff. And anyone who knows anything about Pablo Escobar and what he did and the Medellin cartel, you don't need to embellish All that stuff actually happened. There is no need to monkey with it. And for some reason, Hollywood feels compelled to monkey with it. And fortunately, we avoided a lot of that. I won't say all of it, but we avoided most of it with this movie. Because, again, what actually happened to the American economy, the world economy over this period of time, need to make it up. I mean, you couldn't. You could not sit down and write this movie and try to sell it because no one would believe it was possible. There are lines in this movie where they're talking about how stupid people are. And I, it was funny because I saw it in a pretty full theater, but I, there were times where I was the only one laughing. And there was like, I remember... But it was, you know, and like, look, I'm no financial genius. Anyone that has seen my checkbook lately will will attest to that. Um, but I I know more. Like, I, I'm one of these people who like I can see it. I recognize patterns. I I saw. I didn't see the world economy collapsing because I didn't have that much knowledge of how it all worked. But I definitely saw the housing bubble collapsing, and um, you know, and and, and the idea of people are dumb and will allow stuff like this to happen because of greed, because of stupidity, because of avarice. I was like, yeah, no, no, I don't need to be convinced of this. I'm right there. I'm, you know, and like I said, I have the, the, the advantage of having read a lot of books on the subject, which all said the same thing. Like it was a combination of, there's a line right at the beginning of the movie that uh, Christian Bale narrates. And he said, it's something to, to or, or, or Ryan Gosling, who said, that the information was there, all you had to do was look. And that's exactly what, what they did. And I was like, yeah. It, it, you could, that's the thing. Is I'm not a genius. You, you could see the housing bubble collapsing by just looking at it, looking at the evidence around you, looking at the amount of empty houses, which they do in the movie, looking at the amount 
you know, looking at the whole concept of a subprime mortgage, of selling something to somebody, of selling something to somebody who can't afford it, and doing that ad nauseum. I had friends that I grew up with in high school who were uh, who were lenders, and they were part of that huge boom. The, the um, I, you don't watch the New Girl, but the two characters who are uh, sub subprime mortgage lenders. Um, and they're, you know, and they're talking big and they're like, you know, and, and they're, and they're bragging about how much they're selling and that they don't, you know, they don't check anything. And then at the end of the movie, they're at, you know, they're at a job fair. Those are my yeah. friends. <laughs> okay. Those are my friends. And I know somebody who went to jail over it in New York. So I, like I said, I watched that movie and I'm like, wow, never have a movie like I know that they're trying to convince the audience, but like I don't, I didn't need convincing. <laughs> like I was, it was one of those where I was, I was there for the ride, and it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I am right here with you. You know, um, I didn't need to be told a story. I was, I, I, I was like, you could just show it to me, and I was like, yeah, I, I saw it all. I'm right there with you. I have you know, the perspective um, of the narrative. I completely agreed with. Like, you ever watch a movie and it's like, oh, this is liberal, you know, liberal fat crap, or this is conservative fat crap. You know, I don't, I don't agree with Frequently. the perspective. You know, I don't, I don't agree with the narrative perspective of this movie. I don't believe in the message that it's giving you until so you sort of struggle. Like, the movie might be good, but the message is sort of ham-handed. Yeah, you know, like Tomorrowland, something along those lines. Um, th- like this, I had no problem with this movie in that sense. I really didn't have a problem with this movie other than a small, a small quibble. But um, I had no problem with this movie kind of saying, like, yeah, people, people allow themselves to believe this fallacy that the subprime mortgage industry could go on forever and never thought about the consequences of it. And it's like, it was like, did you ever see the Enron doc? Like, I'm very excited about this movie. I'm more excited about this movie than I was about Star Wars, oddly enough, like, talking about it. Like, talking about Star Wars pissed me off. <laughs> this doesn't piss me off. I'm like a kid at Christmas right now. I'm so excited about this movie. Um, sorry if I get, I'm getting on your nerves, but... Uh, no, no, you're good. Keep going. Um, I just, just named a movie. So, the Enron, the smartest guys in the room. Where, like, by the end of Enron's fucking, you know, run, where they started to collapse, they were betting on the weather... Remember that? Yeah. You know, and again, the doctor would be the smartest guys in the room. It's like you watch stuff like that, and you're like, Jesus. Like, I didn't think I was that smart of a guy. And then you see stuff like this, and you're like, no, oh, maybe I am, or I just have a conscience. I don't know. But, like, how do people who make zillions more money, zillions, zillions more dollars than I do, and have these great jobs make such astronomically bad decisions? You know, there's a line from this movie that I think kind of sums up a whole lot of the the financial institutions went through. And I, uh, the two young guys who manage their own hedge fund, uh, their own uh, personal account, basically, uh, the characters are Charlie Geller and Jamie Shipley. Those are our different names from the real people. Uh, there's a few guys whose names were changed, but they're still the same people. And they're not uh, again. Names have been changed to protect the innocent. All characterizations are still identical type thing. Uh, these two guys who you know 
happened to get in on this. Uh, again, they write it where they find uh, the. Yeah. All right. Let me do my the brief plot synopsis, and then they, we they can. Find the, they, well, the, what you're referencing is they when they find the prospectus on a on like a yeah. coffee table in the lobby. And that's which is not how it actually happened, and they. One of the things I appreciate about this movie is they bought when they fabricated something, they actually had one of the characters tell you. This isn't exactly how it happened. What actually happened was his friend told him about it, and my sister and my sister worked with this other guy, and that's how we got the information. And then there's a few of the things that they do that they actually have to say, no, this really happened. Yeah. Um, my, one of my favorite parts of the movie is where they have Mark Baum go head-to-head with somebody from, oh, is it Lehman Brothers or... Uh, Bear uh, something or other. Bear Stearns? Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, and he was head-to-head with the guy from Bear Stearns, and they're like, the subprime mortgage rate you know, industry is strong. And Mark, and Mark Baum just, like, just... No, so somebody is speaking, and he raises his hand, and he was like, well, subprime mortgages go about, you know, failures go above... What do you uh, think... Do you think it's a possibility or a probability that your losses in the subprime mortgage business will stop at 5%? Right. Yeah, I think it's a small just... probability. Right. Excuse me, excuse me. Zero. There is a 0% <laughs> chance. Anthony Wright Gosling stops the movie and looks at the camera and says, this really happened. <laughs> this really happened. Mark Long put his hand up, actually said that, took the phone call, and walked out of the room. Now you see what I, I had to deal with. Dude, this is one of those moments where, like, I felt alone in the, in a crowd of people because I was fucking howling at that. I, I, I was like, I laughed at that, out of breath, laughing. No, but anyway, those two, uh, these two uh, young characters who have a portfolio of like 1.3 million, stumble kind of backwards into the ability to, you know, buy and swap all of these, you know, uh, betting against the housing market things. Credit to false swaps is what they were called. Yeah. And they wind up uh, as they see that Lehman Brothers has collapsed. And uh, I want, you and I are going to talk a little bit about that because that the reality of what the, of that happening is, I, I mean, I don't know about our demographics here. You know, both guys who listen to this podcast, but <laughs> To anyone who skews a little bit older towards, you know, your my age, I mean, I'm 30 or 40, you know, anyone younger than me by, you know, five years, say five years younger than me, they don't understand what Lehman Brothers was. Hang on one second. Do you, your your dad has been in the professional business services um, consulting for Fortune 500 company for well over 20 years. 30. 30 years. Well, that would be well over 20, math major. Uh, I'm telling you, over 30 years, he's been Do you remember September 2008 when Lehman Brothers collapsed, what your dad's reaction was? No. No? Did you have any clue what was happening in the world? Only oh, because I was dating you. Not in 2008? 2008. No, you weren't. Oh, that's right, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Foundations for a strong marriage, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I know what I'm married. I married her in 2009. Uh, we met in January of 2008. You're right. I'm, I'm screwed up by a year. Um, honestly, I, I don't remember, but I think I remember like you and my parents talking about it at dinner. Okay. So it, I'm just your father. I mean, you know, your father, who was sort of in the middle of all of that, didn't really talk about it. Because it didn't impact him. 
Okay. Go on, Robert. Anyway, my point there is, again, there's, again, if you're, you know, five years younger than me, so if you're 25 or so now, you don't, you never had the proper understanding of what Lehman Brothers was as an institution. I mean, we say that word nowadays, like, I mean, it's lost the connotations that it used to have. But anyway, these two guys are there as everyone is leaving. You know, the the firm is now bankrupt. You know, people are just leaving the building with their boxes. And they swipe somebody's pet when he gives it to them because they want to go inside and see what the inside of Lehman Brothers looked like. And again, to anyone who wanted to do anything with stocks, bonds, trading, Wall Street, Lehman Brothers was – that was it. That was one of the places you wanted to be. It was the gold standard. And they just want to see inside. They get in there and they get to the trading floor and it's empty. I mean, there's been a fire sale in there, basically. And one of them just kind of looks around and goes, it's not what I expected. What did you expect to find? Expected to find grown-ups. I think that's like one, that's one of the taglines or one of the underlying philosophies for this movie is, well, what did you expect in the financial sector of, you know, the world economy? Well, I expected a grown-up. <laughs> it, it's, it's, and I mean, again, from a sociological perspective, the problem is you have, you know, over a generation of people going into that profession who did not understand what it meant, what it means to be an adult, to be a grown-up, to think it's something that just happens to them overnight between 17 and 18. It, it's weird. But, uh, to give my, uh, we've been going for almost thirty minutes. Let me go ahead and give my plot synopsis here. Uh, this is a, this is a very they utilize a fragmented style of storytelling here, in that there are three groups we're following off and on. The first character we're introduced to is Christian Bale. He plays a gentleman by the name of Doctor Michael Burry, who manages a. Uh, fund, a hedge fund of some variety, I believe uh, called the Scion Group at the time, or at least that's what they call it in the movie. And he looks at the housing market and decides, no, this is a bad, this is not a good thing. They're in a bad spot. How can I make money off of this? I will go to banks and I will get them to create a credit default offer for me and they will all take my money quite happily with these huge rates of return because everyone believes the housing market is the sun always rises in the east that's in the west the other part of that is, is in order for this to work he had to pay a monthly fee for every so essentially so he for those people that don't understand this and i'm not even sure i completely do but he's I understand betting, enough of it he's betting against the continued rise of the of the housing market, so um, which is called a short, and so he says, you know, X, I will pay X amount of money per month as long as it keeps going up. But if it goes down, as soon um, as it hits X percentage, you pay me right. on the order of like ten or twenty to one on my money. Right. So essentially, he has to like pay rent on this bet. But yeah. if what his prediction comes to pass. They have to pay him twenty times uh, what, what he's what he's been paying. 
he invests something like $1.3 billion across all the investment banks in New York by the time it's all said and done. And his profits on that were 489%. So yeah. for everyone out there who wants to do the math on that, nearly six times his money on $1.3 billion. <laughs> it's insane. It is utter insanity. And but anyway, funny, and he is... He does, this in he does this in 2005. Um, 2005, 2006, somewhere in there, betting on that that when the adjustable rate mortgages go up in 2007, that's when he'll cash in. And even then, he doesn't cash in. It just still takes a little bit. No, I mean, when they talk about how, I mean, the fraudulent nature of the system that they go into later on, it's made abundantly clear how bad that is just from his perspective. He's like, okay. You're all crashing. I should be getting paid. What's the problem? Well, we still feel these are viable uh, rates, and we haven't adjusted. How can, I think he has the line in there. How can you be telling me that? You know, how can you not pay me on my insurance when the building is collapsing? Well, we own the insurance company, and they're saying it's still fine. It's that type of thing, and he just loses his mind for a minute or two there, going. This is so wrong. It's, uh, again, the whole system at that point is so incestuously fraudulent that he, he his mind can't quite get around it. Uh, we also follow uh, Ryan Gosling's character, Mike Vennett, something Vennett. I only remember the last hey, name. Hang on, before Jared you go any further, there's something I want to say about that. Part of what makes the, the U.S. economy strong and the, and the U.S. financial services strong is the understanding that with our laws on the books and we are a nation of laws, that there's integrity in the system. What this movie tells you and what, what the real-life situation told the world is that our economy and our financial institutions lay on a, on a bedrock of lies. Not laws, but lies. That... It's you know that that it's a lot of smoke and mirrors and illusion, and that's the thing that I think through so many people is that they th is that you know you know crooks and liars are going to be a part of every institution from you know from teaching to social work to fi you know to finances and banking and whatever else, but the, the whole concept that the that the institution itself is nothing more than it's nothing more than an illusion. That's a scary thought. Oh, it's it's terrifying. It's utterly terrifying. I mean, because you're talking about an institution that millions of people throughout this, throughout this country alone, never mind the rest of the world, invest their futures into, invest their lives. My dad has money in the stock market for Pete's sake. Yeah. Uh, anyway, a after Christian Bale's character, uh, Dr. Burry, has gone around and he is buying all – he is – got banks to create these things for him. They didn't exist prior to him asking for them. He gets them created, and Wall Street guys being, you know, people in those circles, they talk. This character of Venet hears about what this guy is saying, decides to actually look into it, and realizes, wow, he's right. 
So he starts shopping around these same options to other banks. They all laugh him out of the, you know, because nobody, again, to a lot of people, you know, the notion of the housing market being something with a bubble is now the reality we live in. Go back, let's rewind not even to like 06. I mean, go back a little bit further. Go back to the mid-90s, just for the sake of argument. 1995. Mid-90s you can get. Housing and the reality of how it works at that point in time was, again, the sun. It always rises in the east and sets in the west. And for some reason, that bit of logic kept sticking around as you know, the bedrock upon which it was predicated slowly eroded. Uh, so anyway, he sees that – so he starts shopping these things around. No one will hear him. Uh, the character of Mike Baum, played by Steve Carell – Mark. Mark, excuse me. Mark Baum runs a independent firm under the umbrella of the J.P. Morgan Institution. And he gets a call, his group gets a call about this on accident. Uh, again, you can't make this stuff up. Then it's, you know, assistant dialed the wrong number. So that they want to hear him out. So he goes in, shows up, and they have money. Uh, I mean, again, we're not talking a major investment bank, but they have money. And he gives them a sales pitch wherein he explains the issues facing the housing market. And as he's doing so, every, uh, again, Steve Carell and his three associates are constantly questioning him like, no. This isn't right. This can't work this way. And he keeps telling them, guys, this is how it is. They keep looking for an angle that he's playing. In fact, the last, right before they decide to buy, the character who calls him and says, okay, we'll buy, he says, we'll buy if you'll tell us how you're screwing us. (laughs) There's no way. He goes, you want to know how I'm screwing you? Fine. Because I am making this. I set the rules. And at the end of this, you're going to give me a big fat check. But you're going to get richer than I am along the way. That's how I'm screwing you. I have self-interest in this. Uh, They do their own, again, they do their own research into it. They all go down to Miami to take a look at the Miami housing market to see if there's any truth to this notion of, again, subprime mortgages, which are mortgages... Miami is a, uh, a, what do you call it, a microcosm of the wider financial bubble, or the wider um, housing bubble, because it was all of Florida. It was all, yeah. It was, I mean, for fuck's sake, they were building a prison uh, during this time that when everything collapsed, had to leave abandoned, and then, you know, the county that it was being built in bought the thing and turned it into a, into a extension of the county jail. I know that because I worked at it. But, I mean... Nevada had a boom and bust. Florida had a boom and bust. The entire state of Florida had a boom and bust. Um, I want to say that there were a bunch more states where uh, real estate was rising at a ridiculous cost. Meanwhile, salaries were flatlined and had been flatlined for years, and they weren't going anywhere. They weren't even keeping oh, up with the cost any, of living. I mean, pretty much any rural area had that where, okay, this is land we can develop and put expensive homes into, but we've got to sell them. Right. And so what they show you in Miami is a lot of empty homes or situations where 
people were renting, but you know, but the homes themselves, uh, the mortgages were, mortgages weren't being paid, which is a whole other end of the story. Um, and that's when they realized <laughs> there's a bubble here. Yeah, uh, and the other group again, I mentioned them earlier. These couple of kids, I say kids, they're in their early early to mid twenties, who have managed a small you know, group amount of money of like $113,000. And bear in mind, when I say small, that that's not a small sum of money. It's small relative to the other amounts we're talking about here. Again, Christian Bale's character makes over $7 billion. Uh, Steve Carell's, I think, when they sell, makes over two. Brian Gosling, with uh, his, you know, percentage, makes $47 million selling these things. So, again, going from $113,000 to $1.3 million is exceptionally impressive and more money than I will likely ever see in my life. <laughs> but in the greater scheme of all of this, it's smaller. Uh, anyway, they find out about it kind of by accident. They start getting in on, you know, buying these you know, stock short, buying these mortgage shorts. And then, you know, things start going to hell. And then they kind of get into the – the problem is the, the – what they're talking about when for – the, for them to be paid off with these, you know, with these uh, failures, the, they specifically mentioned that the failure rate of these mortgages and whatnot must drop below 8% or go above 8%. The – Companies that assess this and assign value to mortgages will not budge. Despite mortgage failure rates going through the roof, the people who assign value were saying, no, they're still good. And they actually go into why this is, because they're, they get their business as a referral from the banks who don't want this to get worse. And there's that whole – again, this is – in the end, they all make money. Uh, the two kids make something like eighty or ninety million dollars, which is a huge rate of return on what they invested. Uh, and they, uh, there's a little, you know, coda where they talk about what happened to everyone. Uh, Burry decides he doesn't want to be. I don't want to live on this planet anymore, so he stops <laughs> investing. Uh, Mark Baum a, has kind of retired. There's a uh, subplot in the movie about Mark Baum that we need to talk about. We, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, again, this movie fascinated me from start to finish. I mean, and that doesn't happen to me very often. I can be entertained from start to finish. I can be... Annoyed, exasperated. I'm very rarely, you're kind of intellectually fascinated by what happens in a movie because they're not meant to be intellectually entertaining in that way. They're meant to, it's just not what most movies do. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a very different experience. I mean, uh, all of the acting in this is great uh, universally. Steve Carell will yeah. probably get another Oscar nomination out of this, and he should. Christian Bale is a tour de force. Christian Bale basically yeah. being a guy who's on the spectrum. 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I love. I was in love with his character. He, he you know. Well, of he, course he, you were. He does nothing but listen to heavy metal and not wear shoes. Oh, well, it was. Yeah, he was my kind of guy. It was killing me because I because he because it opens up. He's he's playing uh, Blood and Thunder by Mastodon, and I knew the song, and I could not remember for the life of me what song it was. But yes, the um, Christian Bale was an um, was an amazing character in this. Uh, Steve Carell gives one of the best performances I've ever seen. Um, um, real quick, I'm going back to my Audible uh, to my Audible books, and I'm trying to find the book I read on the financial collapse, which talked about. There's an entire chapter about Moody's and um, what was the other one? Moody's and uh, the other rating, the other rating company. Oh, um, crap! I can't remember. Moody's is the one they interact with directly. Um, but it actually it goes into an entire uh, there's an entire chapter dedicated to basically giving ratings so that you know so they'll keep their business there and that the ratings are basically are basically worthless. Yeah, it's. There's one scene in this movie that kind of sticks out to me as just being kind of endemic of my reaction to it on the whole. Uh, Steve Carell's character meets with this kind of douchey Asian guy. Hang on a second. It might be All the Devils Are Here. Um, The Hidden History of the Financial Crisis. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was it. Good luck. Everyone should read it. But uh, one of the things that and this struck me as a little bit of a plot device more than it, the only time in this movie it felt like there was a plot device to get every because everyone goes to this convention in Las Vegas now Vegas hosts you know thousands of conventions a year this one is for the people who do subprime mortgages and whatnot and Bennett uh, Brian Gosling wants Steve Carell's character to be there to see, okay, you are having difficulty betting against the housing market. Here's the people who you are betting against. Come see them and see if you still have reticence. Well, you meet them and they're a bunch of idiots. (laughs) I mean, just universal. Universally, these are idiots. To give you a sense of, of the vapidness of these guys... One of the characters play you know, one of the one, one of the one of the actors who plays the characters oh so convincingly is uh, what's his face from um, uh, the, the new girl oh the the Jewish guy Schmidt. Schmidt yes one of them is Schmidt from the new girl and it's like it's basically like he jumped from the new girl into this movie uh, but anyway Steve Carell meets with this. Uh, again, Asian character, Asian gentleman, who does all of these, they're called CDOs. Uh, they are collateralized debt obligations. Now, they explain what this, what these are in the movie. These are individual mortgages that no one will support because they're rated so poorly for very good reason. But if you put enough of them together into one big offering, they're considered diversified and therefore have a different value. Again, the whole thing is beyond shady. 
But he's explaining to Steve Carell how these things work. And Steve Carell's sitting in this, you know, Benny Hanna's, trying to get a handle on this. And the guy says, okay, so no, normally, you know, normally with these bundles of mortgages, you have, you know, you take a thousand mortgages that would be individualized that are all, you know, AAA rated uh, insured by the government type thing. And people buy them because they're valuable because again, housing, who doesn't pay their mortgage type thing. Well, you start putting less than ideal mortgages and people into these things. And then parts of them get rejected, but you repackage those. And he actually has this line. Okay. So hang on. So we initially have, you know, bundle a that, then, you know, has parts of it that no one wants. So they, these all wind up forming CDO A. And over here we have CDO B, right? And you've also got CDO C, which has parts of A and B in it. At which point my mind now goes, okay, we have already reached a level of failure that should never be exceeded. Oh, but let me tell you about synthetic CDOs. Yeah, I actually, and, and this goes to how the, how the movie was, was filmed. So, if you're listening to this review and you're going like, I didn't, I, I don't care. <laughs> I don't, I'm not here to get an economic lecture from two guys reviewing a movie. I just want to know how how's the movie. One of the t- tactics the movie takes is to, whenever there's something that's wonky that they need to explain to the audience, they 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 do a fourth wall break, and they throw it to another celebrity who kind of gives a visual. Um, explanation of it or, or, or breaks it down for the audience but does so in a way that is both insulting and hilarious at the same time. So here's an example of it. the first one where they do this and, it's, and, and it cracks me up just thinking about it. When they're trying if, you to explain, if you don't know anything about subprime mortgages and you don't want to know anything about subprime mortgages well here's Margot Robbie in a bubble bath drinking champagne to explain it. Right. So essentially, they're like, what they're basically saying is, hey, you mooks, all you mooks going go, go to see Star Wars, you know, and <laughs> you, you know, you, you, you people need to understand what, what you all were a part of, you know, because a great many of you, uh, you know, bought these subprime mortgages um, and didn't know what it was you were getting yourselves into, like my ex-wife. Um, so, so. So they so they essentially say like so since since you people are a bunch of idiots, we're going you know but we you need to have this information. We'll give it to you in a way that'll stimulate your brain, and keep your interest. Here's a naked woman. <laughs> All right. Here's celebrity chef Anthony Bourdain. And, and here's the thing, I, I I laughed really hard at that, not because the joke itself was funny, but because I I totally had a give us hell Quimby moment. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. <laughs> you people are a bunch of whiny flip floppers. Yeah, he's right. Give us hell, Quimby. But that's, that's like the thing. It's like we we cried when the collapse happened, but any any one American, could, you know, should have done their due diligence and realized what they're doing. But but you know, the vast majority are so dumb, you know, or, or are willing to believe any snake oil salesman that you know that money is free. And, they're willing to accept these the, the fallacy and go with it. And so the ultimate sort of extension of that is this idea of, hey, you idiots, since you're not going to pay attention to things that are important, here's a naked woman to explain it to you. 
I am like, tears streaming down my eyes, laughing so hard. And you know, and it's then they like, do it again with Anthony Bourdain, who explain who explains what a CDO is. Then they were, uh, but when they get to synthetics, see they have the Selena. Book, no, they actually. This is the funny thing about it because you have Selena Gomez, who has no value other than being <laughs> Selena Gomez, and this PhD <laughs> in economics, Richard Thaler, to explain it to you. Right. I just I wanted to say before we got into this, they got to a point even when I was reading about all this stuff that I started to kind of drool and like I don't understand what it is I'm reading, um, and and when they started to talk about synthetics and even like Michael Moore kind of does a little bit of this in Capitalism: A Love Story, which I watched because again I'm interested in the subject material and I was somewhat interested in his take on because it. Because you're but a masochist, <laughs> let's be fair. <laughs> um. So he, there's a point where he's wandering around Wall Street asking people what a derivative is. Um, so when they so when they go to uh, Selena Gomez and they're like, here's Selena Gomez and this economist to explain what a synthetic is. Essentially, what they explain is you have the original short and then you have people essentially betting on whether or not that short happens and then people betting on the bet of that short. So, you know, so I bet Robert um, – you know that I can that, that I can hit you know head side of a coin, and he says, okay, well I'm gonna bet a dollar that you know that you get tails, and then Melissa says, uh, I'm gonna bet a, I'm gonna bet five dollars that Robert ends up winning that bet, and then Lily comes along and says, I'm gonna bet ten dollars that that Melissa's correct, and it just goes on and on like that, and so you have synthetics of synthetics of synthetics, which if you start attributing that to the original uh, subprime mortgage. Here you have a mortgage. Now you have someone who bets that the mortgage will fail. And then someone coming along and betting that that person who made that bet is right. And then another person betting on that. So when the original mortgage fails, you have this domino effect of failures and payouts that go along with it, which is, which is a big part of why the whole world economy collapsed. Yeah. But uh, as he's explaining this, there's this moment that they actually freeze on where Steve Carell kind of has his head in his hand, his head in one hand, and they freeze frame, they kind of zoom in, and you get Ryan Gosling's voiceover again going, and it was right here. It was right at this moment with that stupid look on his face in this crappy restaurant when Mark Baum realized not just housing, but the entire world economy might collapse. And I I just – that was my feeling about so much of this movie. Just head kind of – jaw on the floor, head half in my hands going, what the hell? Okay. In the interest of time, I want to talk about – I want to talk about this. Yeah. So the three different groups that made money off of uh, the subprime mortgage failure, Steve Carell and his group from Morgan – from – an off-brand of Morgan Stanley, um, sort of a side project in music terms, <laughs> the Morgan Stanley side project. Um, Christian Bale and then the other two kids with uh, Brad Pitt. So you have your three groups there who made millions or billions of dollars while the rest billions of the world into fell the into bees. The, while the rest of the world economy fell into the toilet. It's an interesting, dramatic dynamic that's at play that I really liked. And it, it, it becomes fully realized most 
in the character of Mark Baum. So Mark Baum is this firebrand who is He's got this great cynical. line walking along the streets of New York. It's, it might be your introductory kind of spiel of his. When you get introduced to him, he's on his cell phone talking to his uh, – it's after he leaves his group therapy session. On his cell phone with his wife. Marissa Torme, and, by the way, who is also great in this movie. Yeah, once every says. seven years she gets something, I guess. Oh, stop! Don't be don't, don't be don't be a Mark Brown. Don't be so cynical. But he's going around and he's walking along the streets of New York trying to get a cab, and he says, "Look at these people. These people are idiots. They care about the ball game or what celebrity is wearing what or." there's some other vapid thing that he meant, like reality television. None of them have any idea that they're being screwed at every turn. They've got mortgages they can't pay. They've got... And this is before he meets Ryan Gosling and there's the whole, you know, that he knows anything about the financial industry, the um, housing industry. This is before all that. This is just his worldview and his introduction as a character. No, they're getting screwed at every opportunity. Oh, with you know the prices of goods and housing, and you're graduating from college with two hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt that you will never pay off. And they care about a basketball game. It's disgusting. So, and then you know he learns how <laughs> he learns how right he actually is. So he's a, your, your your cynical firebrand character. He's sort of the the voice of people that that were in the know and were angry about it. Um, and even he is just dumbfounded with how much worse he how much worse things are, things are. that he didn't even know about. But here's the thing: it's not a classic tale of your good guys versus bad guys because if you could. Spin this around and say that all three groups who knew this was coming and bet on it and made all that money are not really morally good people. And that's what's great about this movie is that it doesn't is that it tells you the story through the perspective of these th- of these three groups of individuals, but it's not it doesn't set them up as heroes in any way. And what I loved about the movie is how it concludes. Um, you essentially have the collapse, finally, after a couple of false starts, by the way. Um, the, everything starts to collapse. They start to, they start to collect their money, and you look at, and there's, a, there's, an, there's two things that happen with Mark Baum. There's the initial uh, selling of the credit to false swaps that's going to net them all their money, where he's, he doesn't look like he's about to become a multimillionaire, he looks like he's about to throw himself off the building. Yeah, he actually says, you know, as soon as we sell these, we're no better than any of them. Right. What he's basically saying is, yeah, we made all this money, but we did it on the, but we did, we did it on the backs of people who will suffer. Oh, I got and such a kick out of their fake out at the end. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Um, but then there's this subplot where his brother uh, actually did commit suicide. And... He, you know, and look, I, I work in the, in the in the psychology industry, but I but I would be crazy to tell you know to, to tell you that people have a familiarity with it unless it really hits close to home, like it, it does for you um, and some others. 
And, you know, if uh, I'll tell you, we had something recently happen in my own family where the family members taking care of the individual who got psychologically very sick had no clue what to do and were, you know, and were constantly calling me for advice you know, and just really misunderstanding what it was they were dealing with. So he has this line in the movie about, you know, like my brother was sad and, and everything, and, I, and, I, and I, I, I wanted to give him money because I didn't know what else to do, you know, and that wasn't the issue. <laughs> But, I, but because of who I am and what I do, I think that's the answer to everything, you know, and, and how guilty he felt about it. So you have, this, you have this guilt about the brother, and then you have this magnified guilt about the fact that they just, they, they just witnessed the screwing of millions of Americans and, and countries. This was, I don't think people really got the whole grasp of this thing. What started out as an American, as an American mortgage crisis became a worldwide economic crisis that we're still dealing with today in 2000, almost 16. Guys, to anyone out there who may have heard this joke in passing and not necessarily understood it, the countries specifically of Greece and Iceland are still economically non-viable. The whole country of Greece, the entire nation, I believe at this point, is subsidized Germany. Because their economy doesn't work. They had I to go to another the, country and say, please help. I think it's all the pigs. Uh, pigs is an acronym. Um, I think it's like Portugal. I want to say either Italy or Iceland, Greece and Spain. Um, I know Greece and I know Iceland. Uh, I laughed because a lot of uh, – I don't you – know, we don't get political here on this show for a variety of reasons. But there were quite a few people who talked in glowing terms three to four years before the collapse about Greece and Iceland's economies. Okay, and I, um, I got to enjoy a healthy laugh at their expense. All right. It's, uh, it's actually Portugal, Ireland, Greece, and Spain. Uh, originally, apparently, uh, I stood for Italy. Uh, hey, Brazil's in the midst of an economic crisis right now that is in many ways directly related to this. Right. So, you know, it's like I said, th- this thing, that's why I always I, I tell certain people, you know, who, who, who just want to, you know, go bombing countries and don't really seem to have an understanding of how the world works. The world is, the world is, sm- is way small now, way smaller than it, it's ever been. But again, we're, I want to talk about the movie. I want to talk about the movie and not not yeah. get into a whole sociopolitical oh, thing. Um, they do a really minute. good job with this movie of the, the point smacking you in the, the face with reality. The point that I wanted to, to, to end with really quick with regards is just the look on Steve Carell's face, the performance that, that yeah. you know, you see in him the anguish and how, how he's, you know, it's funny. You contrast that with another part of the film where you have the two kids who, you know, they're going to make all this money after Vegas. And they they're dancing out of the casino. And Robert <laughs> Redford, not Robert Redford, Brad Pitt, who has started to look a lot like Robert like Redford. Robert Redford, yeah. Seriously, <laughs> Brad Pitt, as he has matured, has looked more and more like Robert Redford at that comparable age. It's a little scary. Um, but he turns around and he scolds them. And he tells them, he's like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? You realize what's what's about to happen. You, realize, you're you bet money. against the American economy. If you right. are right, and you are, millions of people are going to lose their homes. Millions of people are going to lose their jobs. 
for every 1% unemployment goes up, 40,000 people die. Did you know that? No, we didn't know that. No, just don't dance. And later on, they'll ask him, why did you help us? And he says, you wanted to get you rich. wanted to get rich. So, <laughs> so I helped you. Now you are. Yeah. So it's those are the... For those people who are struggling with this review, because I know it's kind of all over the place, and we keep kind of, you know, pendulum swinging between a, a bad economics lesson and a bad movie review. <laughs> let, me, let me say this: this movie is a is a bunch of amazing performances. Steve Carell, uh, Christian Bale, Brad Pitt are amazing. They 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 capture the they all capture. The, the spirit of this entire uh, fiasco, which is just how um, complex. Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Intricate. Uh, no, I'm saying how they're 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 the whole thing is just sort of torn. Um, oh, Jesus. The, it's not as simple as we made money. Hooray. Yeah. It's like they made a, the angst, they made, the cognitive dissonance of knowing just how many people they're screwing over to make this money. Right. So you have Christian Bale who closes his hedge fund after he's made all this money because he realizes just how you know he took advantage of a, of a situation, but the situation is so bad and so soul crushing he doesn't want to do it anymore. You know, you have Mark Baum who you know, the situation itself sort of brings him to this understanding of how bad things were with his brother, which was, which really, it was a tear-jerking scene. It was a little oddly shot, yeah. but it was, but it was definitely one of those where, you know, it, it, it gave the movie some heart. Um, you know, you have, you know, the kids dancing and then being scolded and all of that. And then when they, when they, 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 they try to tell the, you know, the Wall Street Journal about it, and the guy goes, "Yeah, I still have, I still have to have a career in this field, so I'll, so no thanks." What am I gonna write? What, what am I gonna? Uh, his line is, "What am I gonna title our story? We're all, we're all screwed." Yeah, perfect title. <laughs> Look, I've spent years building relationships on Wall Street, and I'm not gonna burn all those bridges on your hunch. Right. Um, and then you know the the reality. Then so the movie concludes. Um, where you know where basically the banks <laughs> got bailed out. And if, well, if you want to know about the banks being bailed out, watch the HBO movie Too Big to Fail or read the fucking book. Um, but basically, the U.S. government gave all the banks, all the the, the huge banks, X amount of money apiece, even if they didn't. Need, which was a great thing. Which if, if you see the movie, it's also hilarious. Some of the banks didn't need the money; they were fine. They 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 were able to weather the storm. But it had to. I can't remember the reason why, but they basically had to give the bank all the bank's money, even if they didn't need it. And so what you had was like Bank of America. So as and, not to create an unfair market. Some right. crap like that. Yeah. So, so they ended up having to give all the banks money, and then the, and then and then the banks in turn use the money to give themselves bonuses. Yeah. <laughs> Which was hilarious. Um, so that happens. Uh, Lehman Brothers goes out of business. Um, which I remember where I was when that happened. I was I, I saw that on Drudge, and it was you know it was not since nine eleven had I had sort of an earth shattering sort of oh my god you know a shit just got real moment in my in my adult life. Um, I said to Rob before the uh, 
before the podcast started tonight. That was my where were you when Kennedy was shot moment. Um, it was just it was just amazing and surreal. But uh, yeah, Lehman Brothers was out of business. Like, you know, AIG and all these other companies took huge losses. It was massive unemployment. I remember um, I was a therapist working in a community mental health center. Um, oh, you in, poor man. In 2008 and 2009. And, um, and, and you know, you're dealing with people who are on Medicaid. And I would say about a third of the people that I saw were people who had lost their jobs at AIG. And you know, and some other places near you know near and around Tampa, who had to go on Medicaid after because they couldn't find jobs, and were you know and were in therapy, needed therapy. Yeah, it's. I really can't recommend this movie enough to anyone who might be interested. I mean, look, if you, if you only on... want to see movies where things go boom, then this is not your movie. No, but people if, should go see this movie. If you don't go see it in the theaters for whatever the reasons are, at least when it comes on on demand, sit at home and watch it. It's, it's, it's worth your fascinating. time. It's an utterly fascinating movie on so many levels. You have, again, universally good to great acting. I agree with you completely with uh, as far as your assessment of performances goes. It presents in some cases, somewhat intricate information in a very accessible way, while at the same time kind of very snidely and subtly mocking you for being stupid enough to require it to be told to you this way. It's also heartbreaking. There's a scene when they're in Miami, and you know, yeah, they, knock on, they knock on the door, and the guy goes, I'm paying my rent every month. I hope I'm safe. And, you know, and they're like, oh, you better talk to your landlord. You should call your landlord. And no, that yeah. doesn't work out. Because the landlord's not paying the mortgage. Um, and then they and then they shoot back to that family at the end of the movie, and they're living in a truck outside of the Seven Eleven. Um, I want to talk about my one quibble about this movie really quick before we uh, before we end the show. All right. I like the fourth wall breaking stuff. I thought it was funny. I thought it I I thought it was very creative. I thought it was very visually stimulating. And of course, Margot Robbie is hotter than hell. Um, and I'm good with all so. Shut up. She does very little for me. Someday we should have a podcast about what does what, who does what for you. I'm fascinated by this. But anyway, Margot Robbie, super no hot one else for most people. Um, in any case, but my one quibble about this movie, my one thing that sort of frustrated me was I'm going to bring up Gem and the Holograms for for a moment. My complaint, one of my complaints about that movie was the reliance on secondary and, and tertiary um, film, you know, YouTube videos and shit like that. And yeah. I felt like there was a little too much use of that in this movie as well. Not YouTube videos as such. Um, well, they used a but, lot of stock photos of stock, uh, video recordings, things things of that nature in yeah. this movie. And it really bothered me. Um, I, I think it's okay if it serves the greater narrative, and I guess in the and I guess it did. It just seemed like I don't want to call the filmmakers lazy. I don't want to call Adam McKay lazy because he's not. And this is not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. It's shot well. It looks well. It's written well. It's acted well. That there's there's nothing bad about it. It's just a it's just a personal thing. Like you know, you have your thing with CGI. I have my thing yeah. with using secondary and tertiary footage. Fair um, enough. 
I, I just, it's jarring. It took me out of the movie. I and can while, see your complaint. And while it might have, and while it might have served a greater narrative and, and sort of showed you something very visual, I also, it, it's just, it's too much taking you out of that world. So I, I just wish they'd stop doing it. I mean, you can, you can afford to do it here and there. And, you know, like, I would have accepted it more at the end of the movie where they were showing the effect, the greater effect of the, of the economic collapse on regular people, but they did it throughout the whole movie. So by the end of it, it loses some of its effect. Yeah, I, I can see what you're saying there. Uh, so again, overall, if you've already wonderful seen Star movie. Wars, if you've already seen Star Wars and you're looking for something to see between now and Kung Fu Panda 3, Go see this movie. <laughs> I, I felt ba- I had one quasi negative when it came to this movie, and it had nothing to do with the film itself. Okay. I was again, I was completely and utterly engrossed and fascinated and intellectually stimulated by this film, and I have nothing bad to say about it. Apparently, there was some karmic retribution coming my way for having actually been able to watch a great movie. Because I got home and while hanging out doing laundry uh, on FX was RIPD. And God, I wanted to throw something. <laughs> so um, how, how did it do? Well, it's got an 86% percentage on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so it's certified fresh. Uh, most of the review, 91% of the audience liked it. I don't know what the cinema score is. I haven't looked. But um, uh, let me see. It's got 140 fresh reviews, and 22 rotten reviews. Um, uh, cinema score average is an A minus. So, a couple of um, re- before we leave, a couple of uh, a couple of rotten reviews here. It's fourth wall breaking wags a finger at the perceived baffling nature of celebrity-driven mass culture, even though it ultimately condescends to its audiences. Yeah, no, it's what I liked about it. <laughs> it's kind of the point, you miserable wop. Sorry, might not be an Italian person. It's Zach Lewis, for God's sake, from Splat Magazine. You miserable, miserable man. Go sl- go shut your finger in a sliding door. So here's what Forbes had to say. It's hard to like so much about a film and yet to feel ultimately a little underwhelmed by it all. I look at all of these individual parts that I like and they don't come together to create a finely tuned whole that is greater than the sum. That's, I guess that's that's his opinion. I don't agree with it. Okay. There's way too much. And this is something that I have struggled with in the past and will continue to struggle with in the future. Trying to separate object, you know, subjective approval and things that I like from things that are good. Yeah. You know, just because something doesn't I'm... appeal to me doesn't mean it's bad type thing. Here's one that's just have you banging your head. The paint-by-numbers performances from its talented cast mixed with its random 2000s homage to music videos and famous talking heads leaves a sour taste for us to stew upon for 130 minutes. That came from awardcircuits.com. You, 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 whoever (laughs) wrote that. No, no, you know what? No, screw you. Whoever employs that person. Here's Mark and I providing free content. You could pay us half of what you pay that individual, and we will provide you with content of a higher quality that is more well thought out than your 
clickbait, look at me, I'm different, whiny, standard internet trash. I'm going to read you three in a row, and then we're going to call it into this exercise, because we could be here for another hour doing this, and I got other stuff to do. Okay. Its excellent intentions are only undermined by how boring it really believes its subject matter to be. The big short is cluttered and willy-nilly. Most of all, it pulls its punches. Less a movie than a Technicolor op-ed on the housing crisis. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, this is why we can't have nice things. (laughs) See, not only the vast majority of the population content to go see drivel like Star Wars or Transformers. Okay, calling the recent Star Wars drivel is a tad disingenuous. It's certainly nothing great, but it's not drivel. Certainly not on the level of Transformers. But not only is the large portion of you simply going to the movie theaters to see stuff go boom which I have no problem with. I have been known to go see a movie or two simply for the express purpose of watching things explode. But there is the other side to filmmaking, and it's just sad that we don't see it very often. It's gotten to the point where we see it so infrequently, apparently even critics who are paid cannot recognize it. And it makes me weep for the future. Looking at some of his other reviews, um, yeah, but uh, it's just terrible. All right, anyway, um, so enough about that. Yep, um, I don't have anything more really more to add. Um, don't listen to the reviews. This is a very dramatic film. It's a fun film. It's a little frenetic at times. It's it's definitely a very modern style film. Uh, you know, and it's sort of sharp cuts and introduction of like I said, secondary and tertiary footage, but you just have to look at Christian Bale and Steve Carell and, and Brad Pitt, just those three actors. This, this whole movie rests on, on their three shoulders, um, more so than Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling is, is kind of more of your Michael Buffer <laughs> to, to this thing than anything else. He's, you know, sort of announcing the thing. He's the flavor flavor of this group. Um, but their, their performances are so good. You can't. I don't understand any critic that didn't think that there was a dramatic movie uh, at the center of this thing, because you know if, if you're not getting caught up in all of the financial mumbo jumbo, you've got a really nice movie about people here who did what came natural and what their professions demanded of them, and 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 walked away damaged by it. More Steve Carell and Christian Bell characters than than. Brian Pitts, but still, you know, it's they did what they what what they felt they must do, and came away and came away less. They were financially richer, but morally and and soulfully poorer because of it all. And therein lies the dramatic tension. Yeah, this is again, this is a really really good movie, guys. If you can spare 130 minutes, if you've already, again, like Mark said, if you've already seen Star Wars, and apparently all of you have, given the money that movie's making. <laughs> Hasn't beaten Avatar yet. It's just a matter of time. I hope so. L- look, Don't Avatar, do it. Benef- Avatar benefited tremendously 
from legs, from being rewatchable to people who enjoyed it. Star Wars is the same way. You're going to get people who see this movie three and four times. And that's not a small subset of the population. I've seen it twice. I've seen it once, and that was enough. Speaking of once and enough, let's uh, let's plug and get out of here. All right. Next week, Mark and I will be reviewing Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. It seems to be getting some uh, mixed responses. One of our colleagues calls it Reservoir Dogs set in the Civil War. Which may turn out to be quite accurate. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Kurt Russell has a glorious mustache. Uh, can, always has. Uh, Samuel then, Jackson. Uh, go ahead. Uh, I was just, you know, Samuel Jackson's in it. You know, the kind of the usual cast from Tarantino. So we'll be reviewing that next week, and then what? The week after is Kung Fu Panda three. Okay, here's here's what's happening in the world of me. Um, we are reviewing the Hateful Eight on January sixth. We have nothing going on January 13th. Uh, on January 20th, uh, you won't hear it, but a, I will be recording for future uh, airing an episode of Source Material with Jesse where uh, we're going to talk about the Hulk story, Future Imperfect, and I will reveal my pitch for a Hulk movie after the Infinity War. <clears throat> on the 27th, we are doing nothing again, and then we'll be back, 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 February 3rd, for a review of Kung Fu Panda 3. And then we're so going to be hitting... It's entirely possible I will try to squeeze in a review of The Revenant at some point in there, because I really want to see that movie. That would be my guess. Um, but, yeah, we, we'll be... In February, we're, we're going to go back to almost weekly again. Um, yeah. Despite, you know, much to my wife's chagrin. Um, I, I got $45 in AMC money to spend, folks. Uh, for Christmas, so there you go. Um, we'll be so yeah. We have Kung Fu Panda three on February third. On February tenth, we'll we'll be reviewing Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies. And on February seventeenth, that movie's gonna Dead, fail. We're gonna be re- reviewing Dead. That movie's Dead gonna fail too. Deadpool. Deadpool. Um, in March. Deadpool is a terrible character. Absolutely terrible. Oh, good God. Um, in March, a couple of breaks. Uh, we'll be reviewing Zootopia on uh, March 9th. Um, now, I want to make this announcement now. On March 23rd, we're going to be revisiting an old review. Robert Winfrey and I will be doing a podcast entitled In Defense of Man of Steel. I've already reviewed this movie once. I reviewed it with 401's own Jeff Harris. We'll do a slightly different take on it, um, but we're going to be talking about it in preparation for Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, which will be coming out two days later on the 25th. Uh, I I have no hope for that movie to be any good. And we'll be be reviewing it the week after. Mark will praise it up and down. I'm going to lambast it. There's your quick preview. (laughs) Great. So that's what's going on. Uh, Seriously, in the movie. every trailer I have seen for that movie has lessened my hope for it not to suck. God. Uh, meanwhile, they gave away the, the city, whole movie in the trailers. I'm just trudging on here. Um, the day after we review the hateful eight, January seventh, uh, Long Road to Ruin will be making it to Lost Return. We'll be Yay. reviewing the Lord of the Rings. 
on January 14th, the Metal Hammer of Doom will will be doing its first show of 2016. We'll be doing a, a Kill Switch Engage retrospective. Mr. Cooper picked that. Uh, on the 21st, we'll be reviewing The Hobbit. And Didn't on you guys have done a Motorhead retrospective since Lemmy died? We really should, now that you mention it. Um, maybe we'll fit it in after uh, where we have some space here. But um, since, you know, we made the schedule a little ways back. Um, on the January 28th, we'll be reviewing Megadeth Dystopia, and the following week we'll be reviewing Avantasia Ghost Lights. So that's enough plugs for me for right now. All right. This coming Saturday, January 2nd, no rest for me, uh, UFC 195. Somebody's going to die. Seriously, Carlos Condit and Robbie Lawler are going to fight. <laughs> Violence will ensue. Uh, the rest of the card kind of sucks. And th- there's some good stuff there, but man, Andre Arlovsky's on that card, and man, his last fight was just ass. But hopefully he's losing to Steve Miocic. Uh, if you want a preview, of, a full preview of that card, last Saturday, my, I hosted the 411 Ground and Pound radio show, gave it a preview. Next week, we will be previewing... I will be, excuse me, this coming Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we'll be reviewing UFC 195. The week after that, they're apparently holding um, the Dillashaw versus Cruz event on a Sunday. So the week after we're going to be previewing that, we'll be off for a week, and the week after that we'll be reviewing. I've got to make sure I have all the scheduling set up for that, but... Anyway, it's for all the fans of MMA out there, just listen to the show. It's me and Jeff Harris, usually, just talking about what's been going on in the world of mixed martial arts. Uh, the year-end awards over in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania are going to start coming out soon. I have submitted most of my lists. Uh, here's a quick preview for you of my five worst fights of the year. Four of them are heavyweights. Hey, Mark. Yes, sir. Guess what weight class didn't make my five best fights of the year? Let's get your racist against heavyweights. Heavyweight is not a race. You're racist against heavyweights, sir. Well, if they have fights that don't suck, I'll be happy to rank them, but not so much. So anyway, you can look forward to all of that upcoming in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. Uh, that's it for us. We'll see you, technically speaking, next year. I'm going to be talking about Quentin Tarantino, and I'm going to bask in the gloriousness of Kurt Russell's mustache. Because seriously, that's just his mustache. That's not a prosthetic. He just can grow that. I- I'm insanely quite, jealous. He's quite the mustache fiend. <laughs> hey, Kurt Russell's awesome. <laughs> All righty. On that note, everybody, for Mark Radlich, I'm Robert Winfrey. Going to remind everyone out there to please continue to be well, be safe, and behave, and I will see you in 2016.